0: There is no problem in accepting that in medieval period, many, I mean unwanted things, many of the temples were destroyed. But the problem with some of our historians, that is mainly our Marxist historian is, they would not accept it. Even if they find it also, they will not accept it. This attitude of the Marxist historians has complicated the entire issue of Sri Rama Temple unless and until you hand it over the entire structure for Hindu community. And instead of for Muslim community in Lucknow or in some other place, a Muslim, Hindus should help them to build a very prominent mosque there also. Ram Janabhumi and Krishna Janabhumi, these are as important for Hindus as Makkah and Medina are for Muslims. So friends, at the outset, I would like to thank and congratulate Srijan uh, Foundation for organizing talks like this one. Because uh, this expands your own comprehension about our own culture of which perhaps we know much little. So we, we we have to have this kind of talks and we have to organize it and it should reach the common people also. So today I am going to talk about the excavation at Ayodhya, and this excavation was carried out by Professor Bibi Lal, and I was a member of the team. And when I say I am a student of archaeology, I have got my own limitations. A student of archaeology, he is not a student of history. He is not a student of mythology he is not a student of religion he is not a student of philosophy he is purely an archaeologist and if he doesn't have any kind of evidences he is not going to substantiate that one so that is his limitations so when an archaeologist i mean whether it is in hinduism islam christianity when he speaks he speaks on material facts and uh, Whenever he goes to a place and especially if it is a historical place, he goes to the place, he looks at the place and what a historian sees, I mean he has got his own limitation because his view is not, that way it is not very penetrative, but an archaeologist, he could see through things and if that is a potential area, he goes for excavation. And after the excavation, he comes out with certain substantive things. So, he is in a position to put a tongue in each and every stone, in each and every brick and each and every, I mean the, I mean soil particles. He would be putting a tongue into each of this one and they will talk to him in a tune and tone which is quite conversant to him and people of his sight. So, that is an archaeologist, so we have got religious people also, because while we were excavating at Ayodhya, it was mainly at two places, one was near the Ramjanambhumi, just behind the Ramjanambhumi and the second was at Hanuman Gadi, so at Hanuman Gadi, because you know that since it was, I mean, there was a temple also, Hanuman's temple also, most of the people you know, who were the monks, mean you know, who were the sanyasis. They would come to us and ask so many questions and their one question was, why are you excavating this place? So, we would say that we just wanted to see the antiquity of the place. Then we would say in between if there is anything related to Ram, we will see that one also. So, they were of the opinion that we would not be able to see or we would not be able to locate ram or anything associated with him because he had lived lakhs and lakhs of years before so that is a that is the view of a religious man but archaeology doesn't believe that ram had or even any other person had lived lakhs of years back because for him the human evolution right from ape the next starting was 20 lakh years before but that was he calls it astralopithecus because he could stand i mean earlier he was standing on four four legs but now he can stand erect that is number one and then he has got his opposing power of thumb and the cranial capacity that was also expanding in an ape it would be 450 cc but in the earliest man it would be 550 and then it goes on increasing so I mean, but when, if we talk about the modern man, modern man, I talk, I am talking about the civilized person, the civilization. So that is roughly around 3000, 3500 or 4000 BC, not beyond that one. So we have to place Ram somewhere in the historical period only. Because, you know, whenever we talk about, you know, Ram and uh, this one also, Mahabharata period, Ramayana period. We have so many notions and all of them were small stories and some of them, many of these incidents had taken place and after this one there will be so many oriental hyperboles and also florid exaggerations would be there. So an archaeologist, a historian would say no these are all coke and stories. But what an archaeologist says is no it is not coke and story, there is a kernel of truth in all these things. But at the same time we will have to remove that exaggerated portion, there is a kernel of truth in all these things, we will have to remove that exaggerated, I mean this one, I mean uh, things from that one. And then you look at the core part of it, that is an archeologist view. And uh, about Pushpaka Vimana also. We say that I mean we had Pushpak but an archaeologist would not contribute to that theory that we had Pushpak Vimana. An archaeologist would not contribute to that theory of you no, know, we had that kind of we knew surgery, and Ganeshji is the uh, the best example of it. An archaeologist would not say. So what I am saying is, I have got my own limitations, and the first excavation in this portion I mean about these things, it was carried out the Prasarak Bibila. You all know about Professor Gibilal. Lal and before that in 1870 somebody, one German archaeologist, his name is Henry Sleeman, he had excavated Hisarlik that is the city of Troy and after I mean we have got, we have uh, uh, Mahabharata and Ramayana and Greek people they have got uh, uh, this one Iliad and Odyssey. And Gilgamesh is there for the Mesopotamian people, Rustam and Sahrab is for the Persian people. So there are so many mythologies. But this man, Hendrik Sleeman, he was able to locate the Troy of this one, I mean Hissarlik in 1870 and he followed the description given by Homer and on the basis of that he would, I mean he went and excavated that Troy, city of Troy and then he was able to excavate it and then he could get. All the material cultures which was described in Homer. So excavation, I mean linking their heritage with our mythology started from there. Then came up the biblical archaeology. In Bible, we have got so many great prophets like Abraham, Moses and then we have got uh, this one, Jacob. Many prophets are there, Solomon, David, all these people were there. So, following on the lines of this man, that is Henry Clemen, some of the American archaeologists also, and some of the Israelist archaeologists also, they depended on this one, Old Testament and also New Testament, and then they started excavating it. So, they also got so many things which was related, related to this one, that is Old Testament and New Testament. And then they went on saying, that whatever has been described in Bible, that is accurate. But later on some other archaeologists came and they said no everything is not perfect, everything is not correct. I mean especially about the Exodus of Moses they said everything is not correct, then Moses Exodus is not there and many other things they started pointing out. So a correction came and a balance also came. It was I mean against this background. In 1947 onwards, a lot of excavations were being carried out in India also. And Professor Bibilal Lal, he excavated the famous, in 1955, he excavated the famous Hastinapura. So, we will just go to that Hastinapura. And this is as you know, Professor Bibi Lal. He went to so many sites related with archaeology and also with Mahabharata. So, in Mahabharata, of course we have the classical sites, one is Sastinapur, second is Kurukshetra and many other sites also. But there are five villages which was mentioned because you know they just wanted to avoid any kind of war between the two groups. So how to avoid it? The question is that some of the places should be handed over to Pandavas. So which are those places, we all know Panipak. Tilpat, Bagpat, Sonipath, and the five villages that should be given to them. And our Indrapath is of course here only. So in all these places, at the lowest level, he got a pottery which is which he named as PGW. That is painted greyware, PGW, I will show you the photographs also. And then when he, that was at Hastinapura, then he went to Tilpath, Bagpat, Sonipat and all the places. <laughs> Associated with Mahabharata. There also, at the lowest level, this was the poetry PGW painted greyware poetry. And then he just wanted to correlate some of the things which was mentioned in Bhagavad Purana and in Vaipurana Purana with the archaeological excavations at this place, Hastinapura. What are those things? We will just see. Hastinapura is here, Varnava is there, Bagpat Tilpat, Delhi, Indrapat, Sonpat, all these things. All of them are between Ganga and Yamuna. And we have two other rivers, that is Saraswati and uh, Drishadwati. All this land between Saraswati, Drishadwati, Ganga, Yamuna, this is known as Brahmadesha or Aryavarta and Desha also. So in this land, it was of course ruled by Pandavas and this is said this is the land which was created by Gods. Tum desham brahma vartam This land has been created by Gods themselves. And because of that nothing untoward, nothing illegal should take place that in, in the, this place. Na Dharma bandhu dharmena cha vartidavye. O bandhu you don't stay here, this is not the land meant for you. This has been created, this land has been created by Gods and Goddesses, by doing penance for several years, so you don't, so this is a very sacred land. And we have the Ayodhya also here and Hastinapuragi also here in this particular land. And River Ganga, of course, the River Ganga is for the first time mentioned in Rigveda. Veda, Imame Ganga, Yamune Saraswati. Sutudri, Soma, all the seven rivers have been mentioned, so this is a very holy land So, this is Hastinapur, the place located by Professor B. B. land. So, whenever an archaeologist goes, I told you that whenever there is a historical land An archaeologist would go to the, because I mean the tallest portion Why the tallest portion? Because you know there, you will be having so many civilizations These are not simple mounds These are layers and layers of civilization, one civilization that crumbled then another civilization came over that one that also crumbled then third civilization, fourth civilization, fifth civilization, it goes on like this one and here we have got that our pottery art. whenever we get the top portion that represents the present day and the first layer beneath that one, the first layer beneath that one, that of course would be British layer, then beneath that one, Mughal layer, then Sultanate layer, then Rajput layer, then Harsha, Gupta, Kushan, Sung it goes on like that one, then Ashoka, Maurya period, it is like that one. So, here also you have got layers and layers of the civilization. So, Professor B. Bilal excavated and at the lowest level, he got that particular pottery, which has not been named till that time. So, he named it as PGW Painted Graveyard Pottery and in all these places. So, he came to the conclusion, a kind of presumption not the conclusion, a kind of presumption that this would be the pottery which is associated with Mahabharata people because all these places have been mentioned in Mahabharata. So, it was here he had excavated this portion. So in Mahabharata and in uh, this one and purana there is a reference of a flood. What was that flood? Because once upon a time when Nijatshu was ruling, who was Nijatshu? I mean after the war, of course Pandavas became victorious and they have to rule now the country. But the eldest one said no, I don't want to rule now the country because for that I had to." Wade through the blood of my own brothers and sisters, so I don't want to. Then it was offered to the second man, he also said no, third man, fourth man, everyone. But it is your dharma, Kshatriya dharma that you have to rule. So who will be the ruler? I mean the youngest man. Who was the youngest man? He was Parishit. Parishit was the son of Apimanyu. So he was made the ruler and then when the seventh one, that is Nijachu, was ruling, there was a great flood in uh, Ganga and the whole civilization was completely because of the flood everything was i mean completely lost and then they shifted the, the their capital from here to another place known as koshambi koshambi is almost 120 kilometers from here so this vaibhurana says Gangaya apahride nagaram nagasaukhe nagaram nagasaukhe yuktar nijachur nagaram so when the great flood occurred the entire population they migrated from here as refugees into this one kaushambi kaushambeyam and then they rehabilitated that area so while professor bibilal Shah was excavating it here here he got that particular pottery, this is known as PGW that is painted greyware pottery, its colour is grey and here you can see that painting is and this painting is this pottery is available in all the places that have been mentioned in Mahabharata. He got many pieces like this one and this is the typical this one this is the typical painting not only painting and you can find this kind of this one I mean uh, carvings also This you can see the carving. So, this is what I said, and he got a flood line here. Just look at it. This is very obvious that this was a flood line. And then, because an archaeologist, I mean, simply by seeing, he will not say. He has to test it because you know the soil has to be taken from here and it should be sent to the lab, and then they should give a verdict. No, this is not. This, uh, this is a flood material, so then it, it was I mean tested like that one and they also gave the opinion this is flood material. So he correlated that one that is the uh, this one uh, from the Vaipurana Gangeya Nagarum Nagarum Kaushambeyam Sanivasayade with this one. So this is how we came to the conclusion that this was that flood which was mentioned and this is how he correlated with Mahabharata also and then he got a number of iron tools from here. Till that time we were having either we were having that bronze culture, so bronze is not a very good material, it is not a very hard material. If you are having simply bronze you will not be able to clean your forest, you will not be able to cut out huge stones but once you have iron deposit, once you develop this kind of iron technology then you will be able to do so many things which you were not able to do till that time. And Krishna's Sudarshan Chakra was such a tool because you know it would create havoc with all kinds of enemies and in in Mathura and in Fatehpur Sikri in those parts and also another part, part was Bihar if you go to Rajgir you go to Bodhgaya, Gaya Gaya and all these places, you have a very good deposit of iron. So it was on the basis that is why I mean the first second urbanization takes place in Rajgir and in Samastipur and in all those areas. So he correlated with that one also and then you have that kind of iron tools. This is the first kind of iron tools and after this one discovery or development of the iron a kind of technology developed, technology changed the human situations also, they started I mean clearing the forest at a very large scale and then the irrigation also started that gave rise to the second urbanization. So, this was how Professor Lal Sahab had correlated the textual material with our archaeological evidences and he also got a number of ring wells like this one, these are not wells actually, these are all part of the this one I mean town planning because whatever I mean sewage is coming that will go through this one, but it has been erroneously named as this one ring wells. So he got a number of things like this one. So whenever again I should caution you whenever we handle this our mythology. We have to be very cautious as I told you that there will be so many exaggerations. So you should be ready for that one. You should be ready to accept it from especially from an archaeologist because you know others can say anything. A religious person can say no, Ram was I mean 1 lakh years before, 2 lakh years before, we had that Pushpaka Vimana or we had that we knew that surgery, all these things other religious people and other people can also say but an archaeologist. He might be a religious person, but in the context of archaeology, he would not go with that kind of argument. Even our Mahabharata, it was initially, it was 8000 verses, then at that time it was known as Jaya. Then it became, I means one twenty-four thousand verses, now we have got more than 1 lakh. So this is, we all know the story of Arjuna. And he is looking, I mean, he is, I mean, this one, Draupadi is of course going to marry him with the garlands because he was very successful. This is, of course, a late painting of Akbar's time because Akbar was taking a lot of interest in all these things. He wanted to create, I mean, he wanted to bring both Hindus, Muslims, Christians, all of them into one single unit. And for that, uh, we all know that he had uh, set up that Ibadat Khana where he had invited people from Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, Jews, Jain and ultimately he evolved a new religion known as dene Ilahi. elahi So he wanted, I mean Muslims should also know about the Hindu mythology. For that not only this one, it is known as the and even Ramayana was also, it was translated and the translation was given to some of the very good Persian scholars and then he also in order to make them easy to understand, he made paintings like this one. So this is an Akbari painting, here again you can see that uh, this one they are going to for Vanavasa and Draupadi's humiliation, that particular scene has been depicted here and you here you have got that Pachisi game. Of course we know that game was played with this one and this is the discovery of Professor B.B. Lal. Hastinapura because this again because you know this may look very simple for an ordinary man, but for an archaeologist it is pregnant with a lot of meaning and because you know you are excavating this particular place at the context of the Hastinapura and in Hastinapura whenever it comes out from Hastinapura at that particular level it uh, it is pregnant with a lot of meaning. And again we had another very top archaeologist. He uh, is of course he is known as Professor S. R. Rao. And uh, he was not only a land archaeologist, but he was he a pioneer who introduced that marine archaeology in India. Because he he also wanted to see what is the condition of our mythology and how far it is correct. Professor Lal was doing the work here and he wanted to see what is the condition of our Dwaraga. The mythi- mythical Dwaraka. and many archaeologists like Professor Sangalia, he excavated on the land portion, and the antiquity after the excavation, the antiquity of the place went only up to first century B.C. So that was a problem, because Professor Lal had dated it to 1000, that is 1000 uh, B.C., and it is almost contemporary, and the dating of Professor Sangalia was only 100 BC, so what about that, I mean there is a gap of almost uh, 1000 years and then what Professor S R Rao did is, he said no, we will have to go and excavate it in the ocean itself and at that time there was no marine archeologist in India, so he had to train, because in Israel it was there, in America it was there, French were very (laughs) ahead of it, so he had to have a kind of, I mean this he trained people from oceanography department of Goa and then he, I mean these people should be very expert and then he excavated Dwaraga and finally he was able to locate a city which goes again back to 1200 BC and it is thus I mean he could prove that it was almost contemporary because he got a number of things. I mean the uh, things which was associated with that one and uh, 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 Professor Alok Tripathi and uh, I had also accompanied him for that work and uh, it was a kind of training at various places so an archaeologist I mean he has to go down because uh, and he has to see things also and he has to feel it with his own hand otherwise just by the description in the literature he is not going to accept. So, it was a team by this one Professor SR Rao who had located the city, they went into the sea and then and that too on the basis of the certain data provided by Oceanographic Department of Goa. They said that this one 10,000 years back the ocean was of course very inside, at that time the city was there and it was very much inside and then the city was there, so it was At a depth of 30 meters he had our divers had to dive at a depth of 30 meters and then they were able to locate a city which is almost 2 kilometer into 4 kilometers. And you have the seal because you know this kind of seal these are Mesopotamian seals. This Mesopotamian seal was he was able to excavate it from Dwaraka. So this gives you a very good definite dating 1200 BC, earlier we did not know. I mean, I am talking about before 1927, we did not know that our heritage goes back to a period of Harappa, Mohenjo-daro, and other places. Because we thought that our heritage goes back only up to 4th century BC. 4th century BC means Buddha's period and what was beyond that one, nobody knew. Then it was some of the persons like Alexander Cunningham and then Alexander Cunningham had gone to Harappa in 1853, earlier there was another man Charles Mason, he had gone to that place in, 1820, in 1823. But he could not recognize Harappa at that time. Even when this man also Alexander Cunningham, the topmost historian went to that place, he also could not recognize, but he got two seals from that place, two seals from Harappa. And then after and he just looked at it this way and that way. He was not able to understand anything, what is it, he did not know. And he had, he knew Brahmi, but it is not like Brahmi, it is something very different, some six letters and that Machli and that bull and other things. And then he said, it looks, it appears to me as a foreign one." Then after almost after 75 years, this man that is John Marshall, he came. And he saw another site and under him there was another people, some more Indians also. They saw another site that is uh, this one Mohanjadarov, which were 400 miles apart. And from there also they got two seals like this one, then it became three seals. And all these seals, I mean they were having almost roughly the same kind of uh, 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 seals and uh, the writing also. And then they saw. The bricks, the measurement of the brick, it is the same there also, Arapa also and Mohanjadar also which is 400 miles away from that place. And then that town planning, it is the same thing again. Okay. Then they had that, that John Marshall, he wrote a, an article at that time, I think I am just going away from my this one topic and then he wrote an article at that time and he said because often archaeologists are not as lucky as hendrix lehmann was in troy because hendrix lehmann he had discovered the troy and he had discovered, i mean he had discovered the city also so he says that often archaeologists are not as lucky as hendrix lehmann was but now it appears that i am on the threshold of such a very important discovery and then he says and they published an article also in illustrated london in which he said, I have been able to get these seals from Harappa also and from Mohanjadar also, which is roughly 400 miles apart from that one. And if you know anything about this one, please enlighten me. And the next week came a reply from that one. They said, a similar seals have been excavated from a place known as Kish at Mesopotamia. Till that time we did not know that our history goes back to 2400 years back, we knew that our history goes back only to 400 B.C. And this established for the first time you know our history goes, because it was at a, this one antiquity of 2400 years, because everything has been dated in Kish, in Mesopotamia, in, Ur, in all these places everything has been dated, whereas ours was not dated. So, then it was on the basis of that they said, no. here it goes back to 2400 years back. Not only that we had even trade relations also with them. So if you have to have trade relations with them, then it is necessary that you should also have ships. Then also you should be having so many other technological knowledge also, technical knowledge, technological knowledge, you will be having that marine knowledge also. So it was that I mean all of a sudden the history of India was pushed back from 400 B.C. to 2400 B.C. and that was on the basis of the seals which they had excavated from Harappa and from Mohenjo-daro also. And similarly the same kind of seals Professor um, S.R. Rao he got it from there. So it was on the basis of this he had again dated it to 1200 B.C. that is this the period of Krishna. And you can see this is the, this one ruined portion of a bastion, inside the, see, inside it is a ruined portion of a bastion. So this kind of many bastions were there. You can see the walls going, it was 2 kilometres, I mean the length was, I mean the length was 4 kilometres and the the width was 2 kilometres. And this is of course we now come to the, I mean the face of Ram. And here, so as I said, because it was on the basis of that he had, the Professor B. Lal had, I mean this one came to the conclusion that it is roughly around 1000 B.C. or 1100 B.C. or 200 B.C. Because in archaeology, you cannot come to an, even if it is C14 dating also, even if it is thermoluminescence dating also, if, even if it is OSL dating also, there will be a margin of error, which we call plus minus. So, whenever we call 1000 BC or 1200 BC, there will be a margin of error that is I mean we call it calibration sometimes 100, sometimes 200 years. So, I mean after this discovery, we the second excavation of Professor B.B. Lal was at Ayodhya, and uh, we as a school. Uh, Student school, I mean in school, I mean after doing completing our MA, we had taken admission in the School of Archaeology, which is a postgraduate diploma course. And we went to the site, and I was one of the members of the party. And before the excavation, we do the exploration part. We excavated, the, I mean, explored the area. So at that time, Henry was prohibited inside the mosque because it was under uh, dispute. But we were from the research team, so we were given free entry and exit also. I went into the site and I saw inside the mosque there were 12 pillars of temple pillars at that time. Now the question comes, how would you say these are temple, temple pillars? This is a natural question, how would you say? If you, I mean, see that temple pillars that will be having Purna kalasha motive. On the lowest part. What is a Purna Kalasha? Purna Kalasha is a vase or a picture from which foliation would be coming out. This is a one of the Ashtamangala Chinna's eight auspicious symbols in Hinduism. You go to any of the ancient temple and especially 10th, 11th, 12th century, you will be finding this kind of ashtamangala chinnas or this one that uh, small vases and we are all from Delhi and still if you have any doubt, go to Qutb Minar. Near Qutb Minar you have a mosque known as Qubat islam masjid and there is a inscription also in Arabic which says that 27 temples were destroyed for constructing this particular mosque that is Qubat islam which is the might of Islam. there is a description, I mean just in front of it, it is in Arabic, in Arabic. There is a book known as Tajul Mahasir, it is written by a contemporary historian, Hasan Nizami, in which he also says that 27 temples, mostly Jain temples were destroyed for constructing this one. And look at the pillars of that place, you, there you will be able to see this poor Nagalashas, not 1, 2, 10, 15, you will be finding in abundance. Similarly, you will be finding this kind of things also. In mean, this one, many, uh, this one, Devi Devdas. You can find Ganeshji there. You can find Vishnu there. You can find Shiva there, and you will be finding a number of gods and goddesses also. And sometimes this baravahagas, all of them will be looking at you from, from the ceilings. So there is no problem in accepting that in medieval period, many, I mean unwanted things, many of the temples were destroyed. But the problem with some of our historians, that is mainly our Marxist historian, is, they would not accept it, even if they find it also, they will not accept it, no no no, because you know, because the whole community, the whole Muslim community, the whole Hindu community, there was a, an en masse conversion, that is why this has taken place. So that is one of their argument. And the second argument is there, you know, this was all the temples were, I mean, if this was the storehouse of all gold and silver and everything. So, they wanted to take away all these things and it was mainly because of that this attack had come. Okay, if they want to take away this gold, silver and everything, let them take it out, we have no problem. But why did they destroy the temple? This again, what happens is, you know, this provoked the Hindu community. So, what an historian has to say is, you know, whatever has happened, this has happened. We should not argue anymore, that was a medieval period. And now we have to have a new beginning and we have to have a create a new India. So an approach of the historian should be like that one. But I mean, instead of that, these Marxist historians, they have a completely different attitude and this attitude of the Marxist historians has complicated the entire issue of Sri Rama temple. Because I was in Aligand Muslim University earlier and I knew the temperament of Muslim because it became a problem from I mean from 1980 onwards and in 80s Muslims were almost many of the Muslims then top leaders were also almost ready to hand it over so that you know a problem could be solved. this historian, especially Professor Irfan Habib, Romila Thapar and other Marx historian Arash Sharma and uh, Dr. Jha, they came forward. They were all historians, they were not archaeologists. They came and they said, no, it has been I mean, the place has been excavated Professor, by Professor B. Bilal. And he did not find any material from there. And so, Muslims, you should not hand it over the place to Hindu community for constructing the temple. So, there the Muslim communities they were not that much educated, they thought these are all great historians, they were historians of course, great eminent historians, but they were not archaeologists. Then Professor B.V. Lal, he had to come out again say no, we have got number of things and then he started saying not only the pillars, one is the pillar, pillars were reused extensively reused for rebuilding the mosque and not only that we also got the brick basis on which the pillar was standing all these pillars were standing so again the same historian they came forward because you know they had a lot of connection with times of india with this paper that paper and they were very manipulative also were, because of their extensive connections also only their news was carried by cut out by a number of people and Muslims were also misled by this group of people, I and during those period I went to uh, this one um, uh, Oman, I mean for a, because in a German university, Aham University had invited me for an excavation of a place. So there in a place, I I mean a group of Muslim, I mean that is, there is an organization known as SIMI, Students Islamic Movement, that is a band organization and they knew that I had come and uh, I had got a different opinion altogether about it because I had spoken about it in 1990 because at that time most of the attack by the Marxist historian it was on Professor B. B. Lahr. So, I in 1990 I had come out in Indian Express on 15th of December 1990 saying that there was not only the temple the pillars, there was pillar basis also on which these pillars were standing that was also excavated by Professor Bibila, Lab and we also got a number of terracotta items and many other items also from there which is associated with temples and then I further added I was the only one Muslim who had participated in that excavation and then again I said that um, Ram Janabhumi and Krishna Janambhumi these are as important for Hindus as Makkah and Medina are for Muslims. So Muslims should willingly hand it over to I mean for the to hand it over to Hindus for I mean constructing a huge temple and instead of that I mean this one Hindu community should help the Muslim community to build a temple wherever they are in majority in Lucknow or in some other place. But these people that is the historian who did not know about archaeology, they complicated the entire thing. Then some other people started saying, so if you say no there was no temple remains there and these people say no there are temple remains there, why could not we have a second excavation. Let us see, let us do a second excavation and then come to a certain conclusion and if there are any remains of the temple, then also Muslim community said. If there are any remains of the temple below this one, then we are ready to hand it over. Many people like Sayyid Shahabuddin and people, they started saying it. And after that, I mean it was on the basis of this thing, the second excavation was carried out not by Professor B. Bilal, but by Dr. B. R. Mani. Dr. B. R. Mani is now the Director General of uh, National Museum. Earlier he was the Joint Director of Archaeological Survey of India, a very meticulous excavator. So for an archaeologist, he would not be swayed by kind of his religious feeling. So when he excavated, we had got only 12 pillars and now he got more than 50 pillar bases. And these people that is Marxist historians had said no, there was no remains, nothing connected with the temple had been excavated there. And this mosque is, I mean, standing on virgin soil, that was their stand at that time. But now, when I mean more than temple, I mean fifty pillar bases started coming, then they had to shift their own argument also. So that was number one thing. So that means fifty pillars means it was a huge temple, a very huge temple. And then the excavation that is, Doctor Mani's excavation, that yielded this Magar Pranali. What is a Magar Pranali? In all the temples we will be having a kind of Garbhagraha where the main deity would be installed and that deity has to be bathed every day and that Abhishekha Jala that will go out through a Pranali. That is known as Magar Pranali and it will be always like Magar, Magar means crocodile. And uh, Magar is a symbol of river Ganga also, so it will be going out through that Magar Pranali. So that Magar Pranali was also excavated from beneath the temple, from beneath the mosque. So this Magar Pranali, you cannot get it in a residential area, you cannot get it in a bazaar area also. It would be exclusively part and parcel of a temple only, so that was excavated from there. And then in North Indian temples you will be having, I mean on the top of it just below the Kalasha, you will be having a disc portion. And uh, this disc portion was also excavated from below the mosque, which means, I mean this there was a huge temple at that time, otherwise you will not be having the temple architectural members. Temple architectural members will be different from the residential architectural members. So it is known as Amalka, this Amalka was also excavated from there. Not only Amalka and then you will be having Chadya Jala that is I mean whenever you have a temple, these temples will be having a Shigara portion and the Shigara portion will be consisting of many Jala portion, those Jala portions were also excavated from there. And then more than 263 objects which was associated with temples, I will show you all those photographs which was associated with temples like terracotta, gods and goddesses that started coming out from there. This if it is a moss portion you will not be having any kind of this one living creatures there because living creatures worship of living creatures or even depiction of living creatures that is prohibited in Islam. It is not 20, 50, 100, it is 263. You got all these kind of things. And then finally, you have that Vishnu Hari Shila What is a Vishnu Hari Shila Falak, Vishnu Hari Shila Falak is an inscription. It was not excavated, it was I mean, when the temple was, when the mosque was destroyed. We are against destroying any monument as an archaeologist even if it was a mosque and it was a, an illegally built mosque. As an archaeologist I am against him mean, destroying this kind of uh, uh, monuments. So but anyhow that had taken place and from th- at that time uh, inscription was also I mean uh, this one uh, obtained from there and that is inscription it consists of 20 lines. In which it very clearly says that this particular temple, this huge temple that was built for the man who had defeated Bali and also defeated 10 headed person. Who is that man who had defeated this 10 headed person? Of course, it was Sri Ram. So all these things goes to prove that there was a huge temple below the mosque before the coming of the, I mean Babur. And this was what we could excavate from there. And it was on the basis of this discoveries, Archaeological Survey of India, Dr. Mani, he had submitted a report, yes, there was a huge temple there before the coming of the masjid. And on the basis of that, the Allahabad high Court also took a very, very, very reasonable decision. But of course, reasonable in the sense, if you are handing on, but now what is the final solution? I mean solution, their solution was two portions were given to Hindu organization and one portion was given to a Muslim organization. Of course, that is not going to solve the problem. You have to finally solve the problem because unless and until you hand it over the entire structure for Hindu community and instead of for Muslim community in Lucknow or in some other place, a Muslim, I mean Hindus should help them to build a very prominent mosque there also. So, but all these things, this was I mean all this I mean all these kinds of attempt, a kind of uh, reconciliation attempts, it was thwarted, it was of course I mean it was I mean, by this uh, Marxist historian, even now because you know they have been shifting their own opinion also. When they got this inscription, initially that this one I mean the reaction of uh, Dr. Uh, this one um, Irfan Habib was that this was a plant, this was not an actual one, but it was planted by some group of people. Initially they said no, it is a new thing and then they shifted their opinion no, it is a a, not a new thing, it is an old thing, but at the same time it does not belong to this particular place, it was taken from the Faizabad Museum and which was it was from Faizabad and then it was shifted to Lucknow Museum and it was brought from there and then Uh, Lucknow museum people said no, we have got the same material with us. It has not been lifted from here, it is a new discovery. So they have been going on shifting their own opinions. So finally, we have to see what is the final solution, I mean at which we can arrive because we have to find out some kind of solution otherwise you know it cannot even prolong. If it prolongs you know that will be I mean detrimental for the development of the country. So let us see of course this has nothing to do with it. it goes with the Los Angeles uh, this one museum this is Lord Ram and this I mean again Lord Ram connected with associated with his own uh, this uh, stories and this is abduction of Sita here you can see this is Ravan he is abducting Sita. And here you can see that Sita's ring also, because he just wanted to, she just wanted to guide uh, the, this one Rama, so that you know it was from this particular place I was picked up. So, it was on the basis of this one, I mean Hanuman and all those people had gone traced her to uh, Langa. Again the same ring, it is being given to Hanuman, of course, Professor B. Bilal again. The same thing, all those sites connected with uh, Sringeriwaripur because it was from Ayodhya. We can see from Ayodhya because uh, not only Ayodhya, Nandigram was also excavated because it is said that it was at Nandigram for some time Barada was living, and then Sringeriwaripur because it was here he had crossed river uh, Ganga, so this was also excavated. Then Baradwaja Ashram, this was also excavated, and then Chitrakut. So, in all these places, what he got is, I mean, something associated, there is this another pottery, which this pottery is particularly known as NBP, that is northern blackware pottery. So, that goes back to 1300 years back. This is that uh, I told you because the temple pillars. So, these are the, uh, this one, temple parts, and here also, you can see. Go to Kutub Minar. You will be finding hundreds of pillars like this one. This is a black stone, kas- kasoti stone. And there, here, there were a number of images also. Had it been an Islamic building, you know, there would not have been any images like this one. If you have images, that means it is misappropriated. So, this kind of pillars were there. 12 pillars were there, totally there were 14 pillars, but 2 pillars are not here, somewhere outside. There is a makbara of um, um, uh, Ashikan, it is those 2 pillars are there, we could locate it there. Here I told you about that Purnakarsha, this is that Purnakarsha, and foliages are coming out. Even now, if there is a Hindu prominent leader who is coming there, you are not going to receive him by garlanding you are not going to give him i mean uh, receive him by giving a shawl but you will be giving a purna kalasha so that purna kalasha is here when lord ram came back from ayodhya uh, so from this one uh, sri lanka he was received by the local people by giving poor purna kalesha. so people received him by that this is a typical uh, Ashtamangala Chinna is one of the eight auspicious symbols in Hinduism, and these are the those. Here you can see that brick bases. These brick bases have been made in order to, I mean, level not only level up in order to give a firm base for the pillar. The pillar is the earlier one which I had shown you. Pillar is that. Uh, these are the pillars. So these pillars, I mean, these are I mean kasoti pillars. These should stand on a very firm ground, for that these pillar bases were made and similarly a number of pillar bases were excavated. So at that time they said, initially they said that Marxist historians said, these are not bases for, the, these are not fit for that one, these are cow sheds. One, one group of Marxist historians said. Then another was one archaeologist Surajban in, in, in those groups. He said no. These are the, the pillar bases itself. So there is a discrepancy and there is a difference of opinion even among themselves because you know some people say no what they have excavated below the mosque was some would say no it is a this one Muslim structure some would say no it is a Buddhist structure and some would say it is a Jain structure. There is a discrepancy among themselves. So these kinds of pillars were excavated and uh, pillar bases were excavated. It was on the basis of which. I had given that my statement in 1990 that many temple pieces, pillar bases were excavated by Professor B. Bilal at that time. But they did not accept it, the Marxist historians accept, did not accept it. So the second excavation was carried out and in the second excavation, more than 50 pillars were excavated, proving them wrong. And similarly, Sharmaji, I think, Sharmaji, you had participated in this excavation, in the earlier excavation? Yes. There is another, I mean, very important figure who had excavated with Professor Bibila, who had, I mean, shared, I mean, with him in various, uh, this one excavations. So, he was there, and in the second excavation, you were there with uh, Professor? 80. 80, 80, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And here also again, you, we got a number of, things like this one which was I mean for this a pillar to stand and that uh, this is that uh, this one I mean just below the mosque there was a wall also and this wall was I mean the temple wall but they would say no these are the tem- not the temple walls the one would say one of this martial historians would say it is a mosque wall and second one would say no this is a Buddhist wall and the third one would say it is a Jain wall they are not I mean sure about the, the, themselves And this is of course a diagram which was made by India today and what are the places which they had excavated at various places and what are the material which they have got, because all these places where you know they got the pillar bases were excavated. Which means this was a very huge temple, a number of things also and there was an apsidal temple also. This is not a kind of apsidal temple or a circular temple, because you know that circular temples would be even now if you go to bihar there is a temple known as maniarmat and some of the circular temples were there that was also beneath this one beneath the mosque and uh, this is a profusely ornamental lady of the sunga period had it been a mosque you would not have got even figures like this one this is only in temples sometimes you know if you have got certain manat some kind of you know women I your wishes if you are getting it fulfilled you know, you will be dedicating such things even now in temples. So you have this kind of profusely ornamented ladies and other thing and this is I mean such things were excavated from there in profusion. Again another figure it is a Gupta period figure had it been a mosque I mean why should they have this kind of sculptures. Again a human it is the leg portion of a human figure had it been a mosque i mean there was no relevance of i mean in a mosque of having this kind of figures because any kind of depiction even the painting is also haram that is prohibited in islam but here you are having a number of idols like this one this is the breast portion and this is that this is the uttariya that is the upper vastra of a person you have this kind of things and this is the chest portion and this is the hands Again, human figures, and in human figures, you will not be getting in Hindu temples as in Muslim mosques. Again, here you have another figure. Look at this one. She is a drum beater. Again, you will not be getting this kind of things in Islamic, in Muslim mosques. And this is again a human, a, a horse head. You will not again find this kind of things in Muslim mosques. So, all this is, you know. Hundreds of things were excavated like this and this is what I said that Pranala. This is for Abhishek Jala for going out, it is a kind of gargoyle for Abhishek Jala to go out and this is that Magara Pranali also. So it will be almost like crocodile, crocodile of course is a symbol of uh, this one river Ganga. This is that wall beneath the mosque. The mosque portion is on the higher portion, and these are the walls all the decorative the temple architectural features and uh, that huge inscription which was carried out, it is at the not from the excavation, but when the mosque was destroyed by the Karsevak, at that time this could be obtained and they are taking it to that uh, uh, makeshift temple and this is the inscription which clearly it goes back to twelfth century. A.D. and uh, it very clearly says that there was a huge temple and it was about this inscription. Initially they said it was a planned, it is it's a modern inscription, this has been created, this has been carved and then it has been planted in that area. That was the initial statement of Professor Irfan Habib. Then he himself shifted, no this is an original one, at a later time he said it is an original one. But it does not belong to this place, it belongs to some other place and it was in the Lucknow Museum from there it was stolen from there and it was I mean uh, planted here. But then the Lucknow Museum said no whatever we had we have got it even now with us and then that numbering itself everything was correct also. So again they had to shift their own opinion and this is another inscription that is the inscription. So all this goes to say that there was a huge temple and as I said earlier, it is as important for Hindus as Makkah and Medina are for Muslims. So Hindus, I mean this one, Muslims should willingly hand it over. I had a lot of discussion, even yesterday I was in Dubai, there also I had a lot of discussion with the Muslim community and before that I mean at various places, you know. So Muslim as a group, you know, they are, I mean, I am not talking about the leadership, But Muslim as a whole, they are ready to hand it over. But it is only this Marxist historian and some few Muslim leadership that is creating this problem. I had a lot of discussion, I simply asked them one question. After a lot of discussion, because it is a kind of discussion, they will be having their own opinion also. I said that uh, after the partition of the country, Muslims were given a separate state, a Pakistan was given. And after that, I mean, Hindus could have, of course, they could have made it a Hindu state. It was very easy at that time. But Gandhiji, Nehruji, Patel, I mean, these were, I mean, some of the illustrious leaders of those times. They did not convert it into a Hindu, I mean, this one country. Then I asked them a pointed question. Do you think if India was a Muslim majority country, do you think India would ever have been a secular country? This was a very pointed question. To some of the uh, i mean uh, this one i mean uh, very vocal muslim community this simi is a very vocal muslim community organization I asked them then they said, no, why don't you i mean what you have said is correct because had it been a muslim majority country, India would never have been a secular country, so they themselves accept it, but now the thing is you know but i mean this uh, we should not allow the Marxist historian to meddle with it. If they are, I mean, uh, I mean, in between, then again they would be creating this problem. So that initiative should have been taken by the government of India. Of course, then another argument of these historians were that uh, it was only it became a problem only from 1857. Before that, I mean, 57-58. Before that, it was not a problem. It was not known as Ayodhya. But uh, uh, here, this is from uh, this one from um, Ayodhya Mahatmyam. Ayodhya Mahatmyam was written in ten thousand one thousand thirty-four, and in which it speaks about Ayodhya also, and it's this about Saryu River also. But if you talk to this Marxist historian, they would say no, there is no mention about it. Ayodhya before eighteen fifty-seven. This is John Dilitt. John Dillit was I mean he had come to, he was a Dutch factory man and he was an ambassador also he had come to India in 1631 1631 was the death year of uh, Mumtaz Mahal I mean the construction of Taj Mahal he had come to India and he has given a description of Agra Delhi and various other places also he went to Ayodhya also and he speaks how people, I mean, the, this religious groups of people, mendicants spare going to Sarajevo river, how they were taking bath, and then how they were going to this place that is, this one, uh, Ram Bumi, and how they were worshipping there. They don't speak about that Muslims offering prayer there now. All of them, all these people, I mean, that is John Daly, he was not a VHP man. So, all these people, they speak about, how Hindus were congregating there, especially on Ramnami day and other days also and how they were taking baths. So, he was a Dutch man and before him, there was William Finch, he, was, he had come during Jahangir's period, in 1611 he had come. Akbar had passed away in 1605, then it was taken over by Jahangir, he had come in 1611, he also gives a very good description about Ayodhya. But this historian they would say they would I mean they would not mention about all these things. They would say there was no mention about Ayodhya and the Ayodhya issue also before 1857. This is another man, Thomas Herbert, that is in 1634. He gives a very good description about again about Ayodhya. This is Joseph, Joseph Stephen Taylor, he was a this one, I mean a Jesuit priest. Jesuit priest means means I mean he was a Catholic priest. He had again come to India and especially in 1766, he had, this rate is wrong, he had given, come to 1763 and 64. He went to the place, he saw, I mean, hundreds of Hindus going there, I mean, worshipping at this place. And then also he says that, I mean, people are going to Sariyo river and then they have uh, a, a lot of description about that place. And he also doesn't mention about the Muslim worship at this place. Then the French scholar, Montero Le Boc, he had come to here in 1801, again the description is about Ram Bhumi, not about Babari Masjid. And then the complaint, uh, the first complaint was of course by Sayyid Muhammad khatib and he gives, I mean, a, the, the Masjid-e-Janamsthan. Janamsthan means, because even the Muslims themselves were acknowledging it as Janamsthan of Lord Ram. So, in all the descriptions, and all the complaints they had given, it is known as Masjid of Janamasthan or Janamsthan. Then, the P. Carnegie is writing in 1870, he also again says about not the Muslim worship of the place, but the Hindu worship of the place and especially the Ram Janambhumi and here he has specifically mentioned about it. Hindu and Muslim differences also he has specifically mentioned and then Ayodhya Sanad also this Sanad was given in 1723 by the Nawabs in which also I mean they, they have spoken about it then a number of Parmans, all this, these Parmans are in Persian and this also speaks Mastide Janamsthan which means Muslims also acknowledge it was the Janamstan of Lord Ra. Here, the first Mughal that is, I mean, uh, the, the Akbar, he had given that land of Hanuman Gadi to a group of people, I mean, a group of Hindus and Yasis, and in which also it, the same thing is mentioned. And this is Akbar's Ram Siya coins. Here you can see Lord Ram with his arrow and followed by Sita. This is known as Ilahi collection. Ilahi connection of Akbar, of course, this is an Alangiri Mosque. There was an issue for this Alangiri Mosque also because it was handed over to Hanuman Gadi. But at that time, the Hindus were very tolerant because it had come into uh, repair and uh, disuse. And then the local Muslim approached the Hanuman Gadi, uh, 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 Matatipadi, for repair work and offering them and allowing them to pray. So, what the Matatipadi did is, not only he said that you can worship in this mosque, but also the repairing charges will be borne by them, us, that is the Hanuman Gadi Temple. So that is the large herdedness of Hinduism. So Muslims should understand all these things and willingly hand it over the place in order to help the country to develop. And all these are, I mean, uh, sanats and also firmans issued by various kings and all of them speaks very specifically about Masjid-e-Jaramstan only. So that is the crux of the story and uh, the excavation proves it beyond any kind of doubt that there was a temple before that one. But now the question comes whether it was a temple of Rama's time, of course archaeology has not been able to find any kind of answer, there again archaeology is very correct, because we have not been able to find any temple of Rama's time, because it should be, if if this one Hastinapura is or if Mahabharata is dated to 1000 BC, Rama is before that one, so it should be 1200 BC. The excavation has proved that the antiquity of the place goes up to 1300 BC. But at that time, whether there was was any temple associated with Lord, Lord Ram, we have not been able to find. But at the same time, beneath this one, there was a temple and it was for a long time, right from the period of 3rd century BC, continuously this was considered as a holy land associated with Lord Ram. So, on the basis of all these things, the, I mean, the Archaeological Survey of India had come to the conclusion that there was a big temple before the construction of the mosque. And then, Allahabad court came to the, again, they came to the conclusion that we accept the opinion of Archaeological Survey of India. And it was on the basis of that, that the judgment was handed over by the uh, this one uh, judicial uh, uh, group. But now the question is, whether that is going to solve the problem? Of course, it is not going to solve the problem because you know even if it is handed over to the Muslims also. Because for a radius in a radius of two kilometers there are no Muslims. And uh, you don't have a Muslim to pray also there. And in case it is handed over, that will be creating a continuous tension for the coming years. So, in order to avoid that one, the best solution would be number one, I mean you keep away this kind of Marxist historian. Have a kind of dialogue with the Muslim community, with the general public and then hand over the full place, the entire thing to Hindus for the construction of the temple and instead of that you give a proper, I mean Hindus should help Muslims to construct a huge temple, a huge masjid in Lucknow or in some of the other places. So that is the only solution um, appears to me for the time being, otherwise there is no There is no other solution for the problem, otherwise it will go on, you know, this problem will continue to bother us. So thank you all, thank you very much for a patient hearing.